0: to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the staff. Email your questions and comments to Lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now
1: your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. Welcome to the uh, the program. Um, I uh, I guess I, I didn't I, I didn't um, have enough respect for the anesthesia I got on Tuesday because <laughs> I'm. I'm still isn't that weird you don't think it's anything and then you end up struggling I'm I'm just like I want you to know I ain't my normal self but I'm going to I'm going to give it the old college try and plug along here um you know I had since I've come back I had Sally uh, carrying me yesterday and my sister the day before and now I'm <laughs> I'm all on my own and I don't know thank god Roger Stone got awakened at 6 a.m doesn't he look a little like Prince Charles? <laughs> Is that just me? Every time I look at him, I see sort of like that same sort of... It's a sad face. Have you seen the tattoo of Richard Nixon on, um, on Roger Stone's back? It's just beyond belief that anyone would have done that. He's got a big tattoo of Richard... Nixon, his hero. Uh well. So it, it turns out that uh, s- s- there were photographers there when the when the FBI came to get Stone and I just don't quite get the theatrics. I mean, um you're picking up one old man and you need twelve <laughs> twelve uh SWAT team like i mean they 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 are all you know dressed in black with the you know they look scary twelve guys fanning out across his front yard to to get him um i don't i don't understand that, but then i'm not in the f b i and and I. And then um, CNN was all agog that they had this video, you know, and you could hear the FBI saying, FBI, open up. Um, And I'm thinking, eh, so what? I hate when journalism, journalists, uh, do that sort of inside uh, stuff and put it out there like anyone else gives a damn. Uh, I don't know. It w- I'm sorry. You see the mood, mood I'm in. So, in an hour Roger Stone will be uh I guess formally uh charged. This is uh, hardly shocking. Um, but it just keeps getting closer and closer to you know who. And uh this one clearly ties the Trump campaign to uh to WikiLeaks. Uh it, it just appears that, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I can't wait <laughs> for Mueller to put a, a final report out. I, I can't wait to see if he's able to truly connect the dots. I sure as heck hope so. I often think, what would, if I were Donald Trump, I mean, that's a, that's a stretch for me to get in those shoes, but if I were Donald Trump in the last you know, four or five months. Wouldn't I be a wreck? I mean, wouldn't I, 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 wouldn't I know that things were closing in? Wouldn't I know I was destined to go down in history as the worst president of the United States? Wouldn't I fear that I would end up in jail or my family uh, members end up in jail? How could, I just don't, I can't imagine. And then he's so seemingly not normal that it could be that he just is capable of extraordinary denial and that he believes what he says, and what he says is generally uh, a lie. So he believes his own, he is, uh, I hope I live long enough to see some definitive um, biographies. (laughs) Not that I, knowing myself, I probably won't be able to subject myself to reading um, them, but I am He is such a truly repulsive character. I used to think that, you know, about Nixon too, for instance, who's so clearly uncomfortable around people, um, and the sort of herky-jerky movements. He was uncomfortable in his own skin. He had a chip on his shoulder. Um, It seems like such an odd psychological... Profile for a person that goes into politics where you have to glad hand and be there with people and make them feel you're, you know, you're their friend and stuff. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that Trump saw politics as just another, uh, you know, branding, uh, marketing, money making um, endeavor. But I just. what does it say about us that we elect, this country elected that man? I don't know how, it is, is it possible to ever live that down? I don't think so. It's a defining um, event and, and says a lot about who we are as a nation and a people at this point in time. He was elected. Now, granted, all the Russian interference and the Electoral College stuff and all that didn't get as many votes as, but the fact is, (laughs) there he is. And that any person who had bothered to do any due diligence at all before casting their vote, that any person have cast their vote for that repulsive and knowingly repulsive character. God, I, 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 t- till the day I die, I never I never will understand it. I just will, never understand it. But I am so ready for it to be over. I think um <clears throat> it's amazing that a single individual backed by um 35% of the American people can literally take us all down into the depths like this. <laughs> it's it's just sad. And I'm I have like battle fatigue. I can't anymore. I want to, I've been thinking for the last few days uh, back to um, when the midterm elections happened and the Democrats uh, took back the House pretty decisively and how there really was um, an effort on the part of many to keep Nancy Pelosi from uh, reacquiring her, speaker status. And um, as we know that uh, she outmaneuvered uh, those people. And as you look at how she has handled this, this man in the White House, I don't know that I've seen any political figure handle him better. What do you think? And she has told, I mean, this this, uh, who blinks first moment with the shutdown, she is as steadfast as a person can be. He blinked, he's blinked twice, actually. Um, What were the people who thought that there was someone better than Nancy Pelosi? Why is it that a woman who had been such an extraordinarily successful speaker of the house was facing s- serious opposition to a leadership position and i for those who were i mean well she was 80 what whatever she is she's she's old yeah so you know what old can mean wise She certainly doesn't appear to be unenergetic. (laughs) She's old and wise and wily and unflappable, and there's not a man or woman in that house that would do a better job than she is doing right now. Chuck Schumer on the other hand doesn't exactly uh impress me and yet there was no there was no doubt that he would he would get the uh the democratic leadership uh position in the senate but for the woman who had done so much she's challenged And I think it's fascinating how Trump does not disparage her. Like he disparages every other person he comes up against. Um, He really doesn't. The closest he comes to disparagement is by simply calling her Nancy. right? But there's no adjective in front of the Nancy. There's no uh, demeaning her. Oh, wow, Barbara, thank you. Breaking news the FAA says it is halting flights into New York's LaGuardia Airport due to air traffic control staffing issues. Oh boy. Good for them. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Well, when you start inconveniencing the folks that, uh, you know, with the bucks and commerce um something's gotta something's gotta move so uh good for them i mean the faa's uh, job is to ensure that our air um, air travel is uh, safe and secure and they cannot do it now that's good we have a caller I'm glad. Hello, caller. Go ahead, please.
0: Uh, Hello, it's me again.
1: Hi, Clarence. Uh, Clarence. Yeah.
0: Just this morning, I uh, wrote a little song that's based on uh, the walls of Jericho. Want to hear it?
1: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Of course.
0: Pelosi fought a battle with Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Pelosi fought a battle with Donald Trump, and the wall came a-tumbling down. You may talk about the men of the Senate. You may talk about the men of the House. But there's none like good old Pelosi in a battle with Donald Trump. Pelosi fought a battle with Donald Trump. That's
1: it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly what I was thinking. Is she not something else?
0: Exactly, exactly. And something else she's doing that I noticed, is taking some of those young um, mm-hmm. newcomers mm-hmm. And, put in, and putting them in positions right. of power.
1: Right. <laughs> and,
0: right. you know, so she's she knows what she's doing.
1: She sure she does. She could take
0: those young freshmen and just give them some, you know, backroom, little bit of, you know, right. power. She put them on serious committees.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and really. I
0: said, man, is she smart and she knows what she's doing.
1: She <laughs> is something else. Have you seen that picture? you know, she was meant to be uh who she ended up being. I mean, you know, with her dad being the what, the mayor of Baltimore. And um and then how she as, as a young girl was uh in the White House uh with President Kennedy. I wonder if he I didn't know that. Yeah, I wonder if he like uh you know, made a pass at her. That'd be it. <laughs> yeah. You know? She was a, I did
0: find a old, uh, an old um, political ad of hers when she was just first – either her first political ad, which was really good <laughs> when she was running for uh, Congress. Yeah, that was really good. I think it was from like 19 – yeah, it was from 88 because I was searching for an old uh, – my, my favorite Biden speech ever from 88, and um, that came up as a suggestion on YouTube. And i let me watch this, and I went, wow. <laughs> yeah. Even as a young woman, she was good. <laughs>
1: She, I mean, really, so she, you know, she got, uh, she was studying essentially power and politics mm-hmm. in her entire life because of simply uh, the home she grew up in. And boy, she, what I, not only is she smart, it's just her coolness that she mm-hmm. just seems unflappable. Yeah. I love her. So anyway, Laguardia is shut down. That's huge.
0: Yeah, that that I only caught the end of that as yeah. I was calling. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is huge. That's huge. This this this, this is the this is the um, end of the stalemate. The Republicans are going to have to um, you
1: yeah. know, override any possible veto. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but the Donald's going to have to just flat out lose uh, this fight to uh, Nancy. That's it. It's going to be over. Don't you think yeah. it's got to be? Well, hey,
0: there's, there's, um, mm-hmm. but you never know with this. Well, that's true. <laughs> it, it, that's yeah, true. And there's one of those things where it seems obvious, but Donald Trump is in the White House. Yeah, I right. I never thought that would have happened. Exactly,
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, do you think, <clears throat> I came across a quote, and these, these guys around Trump think they're so, um, do you think they, have ever like read like Machiavelli and stuff like that, or have any idea um, how in history how how the best minds have uh, what they have put forth is the way to be a strong leader. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, obviously Donald Trump never read Machiavelli.
0: I, you know what? I I want to go. It's not going to be a tangent because I was on, in an argument on Facebook with this guy who's a um, Money man, he's an investor. You know, he, he's a money manager, and I'm um, winning the argument. And he he gives me all of his bohdi suddu from this and you know, and all of his grades and all that stuff. Yeah. But, but dude, <laughs> you went you went to school to be you know to go to be a money manager. That doesn't mean <laughs> that you that you understand everything. <laughs> uh-huh. I said if I said I said if my transmission goes. I don't, I'm not going to go to a, somebody with a Ph.D. in brain surgery. I'm <laughs> going to the mechanic. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's what these, these guys, he has a bunch of money men behind him, guys who've spent their lives accumulating wealth. They weren't concerned about anything else. No. So uh, do I think they read that stuff? No. No. <laughs> yeah, they're really good at making money, and that's it.
1: Well, I got to tell you, because there's a great quote I came across from Machiavelli. Mm. And uh, it's exactly what he's saying is do not do what these idiots are doing. Here's what Machiavelli said. I do not believe that divisions purposely caused can ever lead to good. So Machiavelli did not uh, subscribe to uh, divide and conquer. Divi- yep. divisions purposely caused can never lead to good. I was surprised by that
0: <laughs> I'm surprised too anyway my one of my ongoing themes of life is the bad ideas that that separate people into, into into- you know into groups you know from race religion <laughs> nationality mm-hmm. ethnicity right so this this i this i've been saying this for geez, what, 30 years now? <laughs> Probably. It, it's similar. Yeah, it, 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 it can't end well, as long as people think of themselves as anything but human beings.
1: I know. This, 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 uh, <laughs> it's so true, and we, it, it, yeah. it, it seems like... Uh, it's so obviously true, and yet human nature, I think, um, yeah, gets in the way all the time. Yeah,
0: tribalism. Tribalism, That's what we does. were talking about last week. We were talking about... Um, the instincts of men, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's our natural instincts is to be tribal, but we have that prefrontal cortex that we can fight against it, or, or, or you know, our base instincts.
1: Yes. So, Imagine that. You can fight against your base <laughs> instincts. Yeah. All right. Hey, th- thanks. So, right. I I mean, I don't know if uh, you're going to be the next George Gershwin or anything, but I thank you for the...
0: Uh... <laughs> well, I could have did a better voice, but that's not funny if I really think.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) Well, it sounded okay to me. Thanks, Clarence.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Bye. 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 Um, I want to just throw some uh, stuff out here. I saw in the the, uh, morning paper, local, that um, a Pittsburgh bookstore has been nominated as one of five bookstores in the country... Uh, by the uh, by Publishers Weekly which would be that'd be the the guys who would uh, that's the trade organization and they uh, are going to give an award for the best bookstore in the country and one of these five is going to get it and one of them is my favorite bookstore and I was so thrilled to see this and it 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 gives me the opportunity to um, to tell you that if you have never been to classic lines bookstore in Squirrel Hill treat yourself. It is a place where you can literally spend an afternoon where you can sit in a comfortable chair and read surrounded by the most, it's just a wonderful place And the guy who uh, opened it, I think about four years ago, four or five years ago, is named uh, Dan Idings. And if he doesn't have a book you want, he'll get it for you real fast. So bookstores are one of those things that I think we all, people who love books, we all need to support. And these kinds of independent small bookstores. He opened it after the there was a Barnes and Noble um, in Squirrel Hill on on Marie Avenue, and it went down. And uh, and then there was I think another one in um, in East Liberty that went down. And he thought there's a need here and squirrel hill is a very literate neighborhood it's a lot of folks in that uh, neighborhood who who read a lot so he opens up this little bookstore on forbes um, avenue on the main drag there in squirrel hill and i just love this place from the minute i first walked in it um, to browse in to get uh information in to get a book you want, please, please stop enriching amazon please, I'm begging you you know if convenience, if never having to leave your home <laughs> is is the is is what we value i and, and I think it is. Convenience and cheap prices—that's what America values, and those values have resulted in um, killing off so many wonderful community stores, and for bookshops to be making a comeback. And he—he is—he's doing great business and every every year he's done more and more so there's a hunger for that and i just i just it occurred to me that maybe a lot of folks don't know it's there there are independent bookstores around town i'm acquainted with most but this one and granted it is closest to my house but i i just love this one i just love it and the helpfulness of uh, of of Dan and the people um, in it, so you know, we got to all be rooting for them because <laughs> it would be fantastic. I mean, just being named already one of the five best bookstores—it's just a you know, it ain't big, it ain't big, but anything you may need, it's in there. Um. I failed to note the passing, uh, days and days and days ago, of a wondrous writer, and I, I want to do that now. Um, when I read the obituary, I, I was reminded of a book that I had read of his that I had so loved. And so, I, again, speaking of bookstores and books, if you are looking for a wonderful, wonderful book. This one's a memoir. Russell Baker's Growing Up. It is about his childhood in the Depression. And he (coughs) grew up to be (coughs) a reporter, excuse me, (coughs) and a columnist for the uh, New York Times. And just a wry, wonderful observer of 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 life. But if you are looking for, I mean, really, a great read, and you never read it when it came out in 1982, uh, and you missed it, please treat yourself to Growing Up. A 1982 memoir about his, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible I think it won yeah it won um, him a Pulitzer Prize <coughs> he had another one too an incredible writer a clearly wonderful man you know how some people when they write you can just you you just sort of fall in love with them good people good people and smart and there was one uh, little line I'm sorry about my voice guys <coughs> there was one line in um the obituary that i just so loved he was working as a um uh, as a reporter as a regular ordinary old reporter when he when he was first hired at the new york times he was uh covering the state department he was bored out of his mind uh then he was sent over to do congress and he, he liked uh that um a little bit more uh because there were characters <laughs> there. There aren't a lot of characters in the State Department, but on in Congress there were. So at least he had a little bit more fun uh writing about uh Congress. And um uh, in his reporting he would make his very Baker esque uh observations, sardonic, wry observations about uh power in DC. And and then he, you know, he covered uh he covered the fifty six presidential uh campaign, he covered the nineteen sixty campaign with uh Kennedy and uh but he was just feeling like this is not quite what I want to do. And he had a moment. You know, these things happen to us all. There's a moment. And here's how he put it. One day, well, this is how the obituary writer put it. One day, he found himself on a bench outside a closed meeting of a Senate committee. And he, here's what happened to him. He's sitting out there waiting for some senators to come out and so he can question them. He's 37 years old at the time. And he said, all of a sudden it occurred to me, what the heck am I doing waiting out here for somebody to come out and lie to me? And that was the end for him. That was the end for him. Uh, so he, he ended up uh, heading into column uh, writing. But seriously, um, if you're looking for a good read, uh, there's nothing better than growing up. It's, it's history, it's personal, it's warm, it's smart, it's, it's everything you would want in a, in a book to read on a cold January or February day, so um, just sending that your way. Um, have I mentioned another memoir that I am just like freaking out about now? I've, I read it recently, um, and I, I want to also suggest that you take that one on too. <coughs> this is a mem- memoir of a woman's childhood uh, closer to our our time, And uh, it's called Educated. And maybe you've heard about it. It is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing in a million ways. Um, Mind-blowing in the lives that people survive. (laughs) The childhoods that people survive. The obvious resiliency and strength of a human being, not all, but some. And this woman, it's mind blowing. And I, I read a review of it and I thought, huh, oh, that sounds really good. And then I saw that Barack Obama put it on his uh, year end list of books you gotta read. And so that gave me the push, uh, because I think Barack generally has a pretty good... uh, We tend to like the same kind of books. So there's another one. Two memoirs for you, very different in in tone. Uh, Hers is so much more harrowing and almost unbelievable. Uh, You can't quite believe that in this country there are people living as she lived it's amazing so those are my two little books for you to to read and to give yourself uh much enjoyment okay uh something else i've just got little things here i'm going to what was the thing about um excuse me uh Okay, so we were talking about Nancy Pelosi just cleaning uh, Trump's clock and uh, Mitch McConnell's clock for that reason. You know, I, I, it, she, she's just masterful, mistressful. But there was a piece written by Michelle Goldberg about about misogyny in politics in this country that is very sobering. And I had not seen um, the specific uh, numbers that that she trots out in this, but I, I, I want to because it takes us back to something I was talking about earlier, like how could this country elect that repulsive, repulsive, and clearly, clearly not up to the job, man, over a woman that was deemed by many to be not particularly their cup of tea, not particularly likable, whatever, but so clearly smart, capable, and knowledgeable. <laughs> and And America given, here's a woman, all right, so you don't like her, you don't want to date her, you don't want whatever, it's okay. But man, is she qualified or what? And then this this snake oil salesman, this crook, this disparager of, of his superiors in every way, this misogynistic, repulsive human being, and America puts him in the White House. There was a political scientist who was very keen on seeing how this 2016 election would play out with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And so he made an effort to poll specific registered voters he, he just kept it in some registered voters in new jersey and he interviewed them on more than one occasion and here's how he set up what he wanted he wanted to sort of try to try to pinpoint how misogyny or fear of powerful women could Impact this election. And so he divided his study participants into two groups. And in one of the groups, he first held, a, you know, he talked to them about what he was, you know, they always sort of flim flammed the people saying, I'm, I, he told this group that um, in an increasing uh, number of American households, women out-earn the men. And uh, he asked everyone in that group, is that true of your household? And he expected, this is what's interesting, he fully expected many of the men to lie. The point of the question that he asked them was to get them thinking, put in their heads, that women were gaining power, women were getting better jobs, that some women out-earned their husbands. He wanted to plant that idea in their head. And it's not like he was planting something that's not true. It is true. And then later... Uh, There was another group who were not asked about that and whether or not they uh, out-earned their wives. And the men who were prepped with the question about money and women favored Trump, when asked, by eight points. When the group that had not been told, you know, women are out-earning a lot of men, well, how's it doing in your house? The group that didn't get that little preamble voted for Hillary Clinton by 16 points. Put in their heads, women are out-earning men, and that group goes, wow, to Trump. Um, and the political scientist who did the r- report ended up writing a piece on it called Emasculation and the 2016 election. And he said, in essence, the threat of losing the traditional norm of men as primary breadwinners led a lot of men in the 2016 election. To support Donald Trump um, and there's all kinds of other things where he said even they said they even controlled for factors like political ideology, support for they no matter how they sliced it, support for Trump correlated with higher levels of sexism in fact, of hostile sexism. The view that, that women are not just different than men, but in fact, inferior to men. So, now we see there are what, three women, three or four Democratic women already with their hats in the ring And a lot of Democrats are now scared to run a woman because of the fact that these men haven't changed a bit. (laughs) They're still out there. And it's why also that there is this record gender divide in in voting uh, patterns um, between Democrats and Republicans. And here, the guy who did this study says this, I'm actually concerned that the same dynamics of gender role threat that we saw play out in 2016 could easily repeat itself in 2020. Uh, the perception, in fact, that men have, that they're being discriminated against, hasn't, hasn't gone away. In fact, it is, has increased under Trump. And he thinks that if Democrats nominate a woman in 2020, it likely would cost them a couple of points in the general election. So they'd be handicapped to start with because of all these sexist men. However, what Michelle Goldberg points out is, yeah, but you know what else has happened since Trump became president? Women. Women have been aroused. And there's a lot of female anger out there. And for every terrified, emasculated male, there might be one or even two women who can counteract their votes. Uh, it's just something i mean it's so it's so depressing to realize you know i, I know black parents will tell their kids you know you're going to have to be twice as good 10 times as good as you the the little white kids to to get ahead it's just the way it's stacked um and for women too there is this true handicap in their gender, because there's an awful lot, and it's not just men, and we've talked about this before. There are women who are such sexists, in terms of other women, who would never vote for a woman. They're the women who totally, totally defer to the uh, traditional role of men as superior to them, especially in wielding power. So it's not as if it's just uh, men, guys. Uh, I've always joked that when men finally um, screw things up totally, I said that about city paper, actually, uh, finally... uh, appointing a a woman as the editor here. I said they do it when the place is almost, you know, in the can. They wait until the men have so messed everything up that then they decide, well, I guess we can let a woman try. They give it to the woman when the opportunity for success is definitely less and I did not know, but in this column, Michelle uh, Goldberg says that there's a phenomenon in business called the glass cliff, which I had never heard of. The glass cliff in, in which companies in crisis turn to women to clean up messes made by men. And here's somebody in the Harvard Business Review's uh, quote, Only if male leaders have maneuvered an organization into trouble is a switch to a female leader preferred. And so it is possible that Trump will have done so much damage (laughs) by the time of the next election that, in fact, more and more Americans might be willing to let a woman try to save us. Here is something I came across that just blew my mind. Um, You know there's so many things in our system that are so unfair and need to be fixed or need fixed as they say around here but uh, they they never will be because there are whole bunches of people who like things to be unfair um and let me find this this has to do with the uh population of uh, Washington, D.C., and how it has, in fact, uh, gone way up. It's gone up enough that the District of Columbia, our nation's capital, has a population larger than four entire states of this country. The population of the District of Columbia has more people in it than Wyoming, than Vermont, than Arkansas, oh no, Alaska that is, and North Dakota. But stop and think that each one of those states has representation in the Senate of the United States has two senators. That would be eight senators all together representing states that have fewer people than the District of Columbia, which doesn't get represented, really. There ain't no senator from D.C. There ain't no congressperson from D.C. There is a D.C. rep that does not have the power. How do we allow in this country to have a situation where hundreds of thousands of Americans do not get represented in our federal government? And yet these other places that are overwhelmingly white, right? D.C. is overwhelmingly black, these four states are overwhelmingly white and they've got senators and congress people representing them how is that tolerable how is anybody able to argue that that is i mean obviously it's not fair but it seems so anti-american the very idea of a democratic republic, how could we have set things up so that these hundreds of thousands of people would have no representation? And yet these other lily white Wyoming and Vermont and North Dakota, <laughs> we really need a constitutional convention. We really we really it's unbelievable. Wow. Chris Wrights just wanted to let you know. I how do you people keep track of dates like this? I don't. It's been eight years today that Doug Hurth died. For those of you who don't know, Doug Hirth was a colleague of mine and a um talk radio unique talk radio voice in in Pittsburgh and uh, the fact that he had so many listeners who actually note th- his the anniversary of his death. He was that loved, and yet he just, oh. Chris says, I can't believe it's been that long. I miss hearing his show every day. It wasn't like any other show, (laughs) that's for sure. She says, I can still hear Doug and Lawrence, and they're both gone, singing the theme song to All in the Family. Lawrence sang the Edith part. Yeah, he was just hysterical. So Doug Hearth is gone, but now we get freaking Wendy Bell, says Chris. Why are we being punished? in honor of Doug. Hello, I must be going. He always ended his show with um, that uh, Mark's brother's song. God, and I never know it. Hello, I must be going. I came to say I cannot stay. I must be going. (laughs) Uh, Aw. Well, So that's, uh, that's the way it is. Uh, what else? I just got little things here and there. A lot of you have sent me this information about the fact that Mo Rocca, who I only encounter on um, the NPR uh, quiz show that I'm blanking on, um, on, on Saturdays, that, but he's also, I guess, Mo Rocca is on, what, uh, one of the network's shows in the morning. And it's, you all have, a lot of you have told me because you figure I'll love this, and I, obviously. Mo Rocca, it turns out, really loves obits. because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do too. Um, and he's on CBS News Sunday morning and uh he's starting up a new podcast just tell those of you who might not have seen it called mobituaries and he he looks at the deaths of you know not necessarily the best known people and also not necessarily people but the deaths of uh ideas <laughs> <laughs> jeez the deaths of uh social movements and things like that and it says here that the first uh his first episode is going to focus on Vaughn Meter. Now, if you know who Vaughn Meter is, that definitely uh, dates you. Uh, Vaughn Meter was a, uh, a comic, I guess, who looked a bit like John F. Kennedy, looked enough like him, and nailed the delivery and voice of JFK, that as soon as JFK became president, Vaughn Meter was like the, the comedian of the uh, era. And um, his career was k- killed with Kennedy's assassination, <laughs> of course. Um, when Kennedy was assassinated, Von Meter's career <laughs> was ended. And I'm not aware that he did uh, much of anything uh, after that. But, boy, I mean, we, an awful lot of houses, including the one I grew up in, certainly had Vaughn meter um, records. Uh, Jonathan says, if you do a search for Doug Hearth on YouTube, you'll find lots of great stuff. Um, so a lot of shows are are there. Um, and if you need a, a Doug fix, or even if you're curious about what the heck it was he did, um, they, he lives on, on, uh, on YouTube, so. Oh, God, guys. I don't know. I have all this stuff here, and I feel, I look at it and I think, I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about Wilbur Ross, our commerce secretary, who who said when told that you know people you know people work for the FAA and others I mean they're actually going to food banks and Wilbur Ross who is worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars said I don't really quite understand <laughs> the the absolute tone deafness of this Trump administration to the lives of Americans, these are people who only know other millionaires. They only know millionaires, billionaires, and people in power. And they have no, obviously, empathy, no ability to comprehend how missing a paycheck impacts a regular human being somebody who hasn't spent their lives accumulating more than they need more than their share and who can never get enough and i you know this yeah as nancy pelosi says it's uh it's that let them eat cake kind of you know let them eat loans he told them they could go tell them to go get a loan why can't they just go get a loan and then it turns out that the credit uh, the credit union f- that is uh, part of the uh, his own, Wilbur Ross's department, the Commerce Department, they have a credit union. They are offering loans, shut-down loans of up to $5,000. But guess what the interest rate is? 9%. So Wilbur Ross in his own on his turf says, Well I don't think I'll get loans. Yeah, they might have to pay a little bit of interest. Nine percent interest to secure the money that is theirs? They have to pay to get the money that is owed them? Yeah, well, why don't they go get a loan? Because people like Wilbur Ross with all his money, that's how they operate. They get loans all the time. You know, they're leveraging whole big hunks of money left and right and then making more and more and more and more of it. And Wilbur Ross wouldn't know that Bank of America, that Citigroup, that J.P. Morgan, that Wells Fargo, They don't offer personal loans at all anymore. They aren't interested in little people. Those four huge national banks, those are the four biggest banks in the country, they'll only loan money to the likes of Wilbur Ross. You? It's something. It's something. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay, and then there's just one other little thing I've been carrying around forever, but you've probably already seen it. I've already... Uh, there is a significant variation in fertility rates around our country. And generally speaking, almost everywhere in the country, we ain't, there ain't enough babies being born. Um, we are not uh, replacing the dead and that is certainly true of Pennsylvania we've always known that but it turns out it's true of 48 states now only South Dakota and Utah Utah I get because it's Mormons right but South Dakota, what the heck is going on in South Dakota? I don't know. Those are the only two. Um, and if we, uh, if you want to see uh, people, uh, our, our population uh, growing, uh, unfortunately, this is why you got all these racists out there now, because the babies being born are not white in large part. Hispanic women have the highest fertility rates in the country. Black women in 12 states are the highest. White women do not reach the level uh, required to sustain the population in any state. Uh, I'm just saying. and i you know i'm not sure the impact that that has but it has an impact only south dakota and utah have birth rates high enough to sustain their current populations everybody else is going to be losing uh last year the number of babies born in this country was the lowest since 1987 Is that because we powerful women emasculated all the guys? I have no idea what happened, but there it is. Okay, guys, I'm going to fold the tent about a minute early here because I'm I'm just beat. <laughs> Forgive me, and I hope to uh, regain my energy next uh, over the weekend and uh, come back finally with a little more oomph uh, because my oomph done got up and and went, I, I really am dragging. So thank you for listening to uh, a less than energetic uh, me today. And uh, if all goes as it is to go, we will actually be here five days next week. Amazing. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. Bye.